Good morning. The meeting will come to order. Welcome to the February 28, 2024 meeting of the Budget and Finance Committee. I am Supervisor Connie Chan, Chair of the Committee. I'm joined by Vice Chair Rafael Mendelman and Supervisor Mirna Malgar. Our clerk is uh, Brent Halipa, and um, uh, I want to like to thank uh, Corwin Cooley uh, from SFGov TV for broadcasting, this, for broadcasting this meeting. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements? Thank you, Madam Chair. Just a friendly reminder to those in attendance uh, to please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices as to not to interrupt our proceedings. Uh, should you have any documents to be included as part of the file that should be submitted to myself, the clerk, public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, please line up to speak on the west side of the chamber to your right, my left, along those curtains. And while not necessary to provide public comment, we do invite you to fill out a comment card and leave them on the tray uh, right by the television to your left by the doors. If you wish to be accurately recorded for the minutes, alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Budget and Finance Committee Clerk at brent.jalipa at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. That's 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. And finally, Madam Chair, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors' agenda of March 5th, unless otherwise stated. Madam Chair. Thank you, um, Mr. Clerk. And before we call item number one, I would like to remind everyone that we have budget and legislative analyst reports for items six through nine, 11 and 12 on today's agenda. So for those items, we will have the department presentation first, followed by the budget and legislative analyst. Then we will take questions and public comment. Mr. Clerk, please call item number one. Yes, item number one. His ordinance amending the business and tax regulations code for tax periods beginning on or after January 1st, 2024 to require short-term rental hosts that do not operate through a qualified website company to file transient occupancy tax returns annually, waive the requirement for those hosts to obtain the certificate of authority from the tax collector, change the period for filing transient occupancy tax returns uh, from annually to monthly for all hotel small operators other than short-term rental hosts, codify the tax collector's qualified website company program, and the return and payment requirements for tourism improvement district and Moscone expansion district assessments and require qualified websites companies to collect and remit tourism improvement district assessments. Madam Chair. Thank you, and we have the treasurer collector's office here. Good morning, Chair Chan, Supervisors, Amanda Freed with the Office of the Treasurer and Tax Collector. Today, I'm presenting an item that will simplify tax and fee filing requirements for short-term residential rental hosts. Uh, following an election in 2022, as of January 1st of this year, short-term rental hosts are now assessed under the San Francisco Tourism Improvement District, or TID. Hosts may pass this assessment on to their guests. As we work to implement this new collection from hosts, our goal was to simplify the filing and payment of the TID for hosts. I wanna thank our partners at SF Travel who worked with us to notify hosts of their new requirements under the TID 
and they also co-hosted a webinar with our office to explain the purpose of the TID and how this will work. All of that information is posted on our website. As you know, short-term rentals have always been required to collect and remit transient occupancy taxes, or TOT. We've long offered many different options for hosts to collect and remit these obligations. Currently, hosts can collect and remit TOT monthly or annually, or they can work with a qualified website company to collect and remit the taxes on their behalf. In practice, the vast majority of TOT is collected and remitted by qualified website companies. Hosts who operate short-term rentals directly or on non-qualified platforms do collect and remit TOT annually right now. We don't currently have any TOT remitted monthly by short-term rental hosts. To ease collection of the new TID requirement, we are seeking to require that our qualified website companies collect and remit the TID on behalf of their hosts as part of their agreement with our office to collect and remit the TOT. We will discontinue the option for hosts to collect and remit TOT monthly and require all hosts who do not operate through a qualified website to file and pay the TOT and TID assessments annually. I would also like to request that the board consider an amendment we've circulated clarifying that the TID requirement for qualified website companies is not retroactive. I've confirmed with Deputy City Attorney Pearson that this amendment is not substantive and has also shared the language with the clerk. Thank you for your consideration and I'm happy to take any questions. Um, I do have a question. Sure. Could you, I mean, I, I think uh, because it's just not included in the legislation itself, I know it's somewhere, but could you just kind of walk us through really quick um, the definition of a quali qualified website company? Sure, absolutely. Um, so the transient occupancy tax is a 14% tax on stays that's paid by guests and remitted either by hotels or by like reservation website companies or short-term hosts directly. Um, when this became popular in San Francisco, we worked really hard to figure out a way for um, to, to get these collected by the platform companies themselves. That was really at the urging of hosts who found the collection and remittance of taxes confusing and overwhelming and, and really wanted this all to be done kind of in a one-stop shop. Um, so in order to become a qualified website company to collect and remit the TOT to our office, companies, this is opt-in, it's optional, um, but they have to submit a declaration to our office that they're going to adhere to all of our terms and conditions, and then they are required to file and remit taxes monthly to our office. And with those taxes, they have to submit detailed information about each stay. Um, all of the information that we require for this is posted on our website, so any member of the public, any guest, any host can see what we're requiring and getting from these qualified platforms. Um, right now, we have three companies participating, Airbnb, Interval International, and Mr. BNB, um, and we would, that would continue to be an, an opt-in program, um, but it is, does constitute the majority of our revenue collected at this time. And so... We are now looking at so-called, like, to make it easier to streamline for those who register under these qualified 
web company or website or company and to submit the tax. So the changes of the TID was a, was, um, didn't used to cover short-term rentals and now it does. So if we don't pass this legislation and um, qualified website companies choose not to collect and remit the TID, right now they can collect and remit the TID but we're not requiring them to do so. What will happen is that the companies will submit the TOT on behalf of all of their hosts. Then next year in January, we're going to go out to all of their hosts and say, okay, you have to submit this extra filing for this TID assessment. We've already notified them that this is their requirement, that they need to do this, but we can anticipate that they will be upset and they will think, oh, I thought this was going to be collected by my website company like they do for the taxes and why are you coming after me? That's also a relatively small amount of revenue to then go to each individual host. So it's not really a great, you know, kind of use of anyone's time. So our hope is that by doing this, it'll be streamlined. We'll collect the TID monthly. That'll make it easier for the tourism improvement district to do what they need to do with the revenue um, and really just streamline it so it operates like the TOT. And then what will happen to the individual uh, host, I guess, so to speak, that are not registered with a qualified website company? So right now what they do is they um, file annually at the end of January. Um, and they file and remit for all of their stays that happened in the calendar year prior, and they remit their TOT. Now they will also remit their TID on top of that. Will it be a situation where they could do both, meaning they, uh, a host listing their property for both a qualified website company as well as not? Yes. Web, yeah. We certainly have that now, and that's fine. So we'll, their qualified website company collects the revenue on behalf of those stays that they book through that website company, and then they're on the hook for everything else. Interesting. Yeah. And, but, so then that means the filing will be the tax will be filing separately and, and they will, as a host themselves, then will have to file separately from the, the, the how many of the state aside from the qualified website company. Right. And that's how we've been doing it for many years for the TOT, but we, we would like to add in the TID just to make it very clear to everyone what their obligations are. Thank you. I just sure. really wanted to understand that technical yeah, no aspect of that. Really appreciate it. I don't see any name on roster. We don't have any more questions at this time. And then um, let's go to public comments on this item. Yes, we now invite members of the public who have joined us today who wish to speak on this item number one to step up to the lectern and address this committee. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Thank you. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. Colleagues, I would like to first amend the legislation um, to strike out the uh, possibility for retroactivity and set the new date moving forward, uh, which is uh, on and or after January 1st, 2024. Um, and uh, that is the proposed amendments today. So I would like to first amend it and then also to send the amended version to full board with recommendation. I see nodding heads, so let's um, call roll on that motion. And on that motion to amend the ordinance, uh, accepting the amendments as offered by the treasurer tax collector, hint to forward the, that ordinance to the full board with positive recommendation as amended. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Malgar. Malgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. And Mr. Clerk, please call next item.
Item number two is a resolution authorizing the mayor's office through the mayor's office of innovation to accept an in-kind gift of consulting services valued at approximately 302,000 from various providers from March 6, 2024 through June 21st, 2024 in connection with the Civic Bridge program and to authorize the mayor's office of innovation to enter into amendments or modifications to the donor agreement that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of the donor agreement or this resolution. Madam Chair. Thank you. And today we have city administrator's office. Right. No, wait. Mm. Mayor's office of innovation. My apologies. Mayor's quite office right. of innovation. <laughs> thank, um, you. thank you, Chair Chan, members of the committee, uh, Sophia Kittler from the mayor's office. Um, the item before you is an, expect, an accept and expend of an in-kind gift of consulting services from a few providers valued at um, $302,000. Um, you guys have all heard about the Civic Bridge program a few times before, most recently the behest payments waiver um, about a month and a half ago, which came through a different committee. Um, this year we are bringing forward three projects, um, one with the Department of Emergency Management, one with the Fire Department, um, and the third with the Department of Public Health, all kind of focused on um, improving data collection and service delivery in um, in, in uh, what people sometimes call distressing street behaviors or um, street conditions. Um, typically, Civic Bridge is, oh, and I will move on to the program. Um, typically, Civic Bridge has historically been a 16-week um, partnership uh, where a corporation, typically based in San Francisco or with a lot of San Francisco employees, donates time with an up to six volunteers um, for about 20% of their time and we value that using the taproot calculation of, of the value of those services. Um, and we are continuing to do that for one of our programs this year. We have kind of two innovations, if you will, this year. Um, the uh, Department of Public Health is trying out a new program where they're going to do a much shorter sprint with less time dedicated. Um, their partner is ZS Associates, and that project is really focused on um, how do we make sure that substance, people who are seeking treatment um, with substance use disorder or with, with a, a substance, that people that use substances, when they are ready to accept services, how do we make sure that our service is set up without unnecessary barriers? So they're doing a lot of um, convenings, a lot of stakeholder engagements to kind of figure out, you know, where we as a city might be falling down and how to pull that together. Um, the other innovation is that we are working with a group called U.S. Digital Response instead of a corporation for the DEM. Um, U.S. Digital Response is a national nonprofit that kind of functions a lot like Civic Bridge itself. Um, they recruit individual volunteers, not corporate, not, not companies themselves, but individual volunteers to work on projects like this. Those volunteers donate their services to U.S. Digital Response, and U.S. Digital Response donates their time and coordination to us. Um, to that effect, to make sure that we are representing not just the time value of U.S. Digital Responses coordination, but reflect um, some of the volunteer services that are kind of being passed through there, um, we, the city attorney has suggested an amendment on page one, line 20, which I have copies if you did not get them, um, adding plus the coordination of related volunteer services. Um, the chair had asked me, uh, which corporations they are working with. We don't know yet because they are still in the recruitment stage, but the positions that they are recruiting for in this role are a service designer, a form designer, and a government form designer. 
um, and they will, again, be individuals from donating their own time. But we do not know where they work yet. Um, and then the third program, uh, oh, and they will be working with DEM to um, redesign the HSOC form um, to make sure that we are kind of improving how many people answer the question. Are we asking redundant questions? Um, are we inputting the date the same way the DPH enters the date so that when we try and link them all up, you know, we don't have to go through a process of, of thinking about whether you have written out Tuesday or written out February. Um, it sounds pretty simple, but ends up being quite technical on the back end. Um, and then the third project is uh, with the fire department. Adobe is, is donating um, a team of pro volunteers to help think about the EMS 6 project and how to properly understand like whether they are doing, um, how to measure their success. Um, as you probably know, EMS 6, and not to speak for the fire department, but uh, the EMS 6 team is, is kind of how they think about high utilizers, people who call 911 frequently. Um, and, and we want to think about what it means to be successful with that group of people. Um, you know, historically, they have had, they've kind of started to measure success in how do you get people off of that list, but sometimes new people come on, so it's, it's tough, and that's what they're going to work through. Um, I apologize to all the departments if I screwed up the details of your projects. Um, that is the, as best I understand them. Um, and I am here for any questions. Yes, what is the EMS? EMS 6? Yeah. EMS 6 is, a, is, again, not to speak for the fire department, but as I understand it, it is the division of the community paramedicine team that deals specifically with high utilizers, so people who, who routinely call 911. Um, on, on a regular basis. For example, somebody who might um, not have uh, a health insurance plan or have a regular care provider, and so they call 911 whenever they get sick. Um, and, and the fire department has a dedicated team that I think was represented in the BLA report um, about coordinated street response um, recently. And but Adobe is offering a logic model redesign yeah. Matt, do you want to talk more about what the logic model and design means? Yeah. Great. Um, yeah, so for the logic model redesign, it's really helping um, or taking the time to work with FIRE to really reflect on what the program's intended outcomes are, are the operations best like meeting, um, kind of what those operational goals are, and how you can track the impact of those um, to really be able to better understand kind of the, the great work that they're doing um, and like where there are opportunities to potentially improve or um, kind of double down on certain spaces or uh, interventions. Um, so hopefully it's uh, providing six, uh, six additional volunteers to give them kind of the time and space to take in all this um, information across the fire department teams uh, to better understand the program and kind of help them uh, think through what those kind of key performance metrics will be. Oh, sorry, um, Matt Larson with the Mayor's Office of Innovation. Thank uh, you. Civic Parade uh, Program Manager, more specifically. Thank you. It's interesting. I mean, I, I think uh, I'd like to learn more about that. Um, only uh, with, the, with the thinking about, you know, again, we've been thinking about um, how do we evaluate contracts and the results and uh, just like to learn more about uh, what Adobe is offering in terms of a logic model. Um, it's, it's interesting here, it says that to more accurately measure the benefits of the program, monitor areas needing improvements, and again, can 
improve new state reporting requirements. So it sounds to me that it's not just about um, hitting the sort of understanding the benefits but and the, and the possible for improvements, but it's also like, are we actually hitting target for state reporting? Yeah, and this is a, a little bit a new program for me, but from what I understand, it's really one of the, at the forefront um, yeah. that San Francisco is really leading in this space and actually helping kind of guide some of the, the state level understanding of what impact is um, and where we should be driving towards. So there's a great opportunity for scale here um, and, um, you know, just working with the fire to help uh, kind of continue to improve a, a program that really is at the forefront. So if it starts in February, and my apologies, if it starts in by the end of February, um, it's 16 weeks program. So you're finishing August? June, um, late, mid to late June. Okay, great. Love to hear and learn more about it by when you finish, when they finish. Thank Absolutely. you. I don't see any names on the rosters. We're good. We can go to public comments on this item. Thank you. Yes, members of the public have joined us today who wish to speak on this item number two. Now is your opportunity to step up to the lectern and address this committee for two minutes. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Thank you. Seeing no more public comments, public, seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. Colleagues, I would like to um, make the amendment uh, read out loud by Ms. Kittler, um, which is the page one, line 20, plus the coordination of related volunteer services. I also like to learn more when it actually happens, but it sounds good that I'd like to learn more about the actual form itself. Um, with that said, uh, let's make the amendment and move this item and move the amended item to full board with recommendation and a roll call, please. And on that motion to amend, the resolution is offered by the Mayor's Office of Innovation and to forward that resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation as amended. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye, and can you add me as a co-sponsor? Or, yeah, as a co-sponsor, thank you. No to Mr. Vice Chair. Member Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. Thank you. And with that, Mr. Clerk, please call items um, three and four together. Items three and four are resolutions authorizing the Department of Public Health and to authorize the DPH to enter into amendments or modifications to the agreements that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of their respective resolutions. Item three authorizes the department to continue to participate in California Mental Health Services Authority programs under the terms of a Joint Exercise of Powers Agreement, or JPA, authorizing DPH to execute JPA participation agreements approved as to form uh, by the city attorney without further Board of Supervisors approval, unless otherwise directed by the city attorney. And uh, item four, retroactively authorizes the department to enter into a grant agreement for a term commencing on execution of the grant agreement through June 30th, 2027 between the city and county and advocates for human potential Inc. having anticipated revenue to the city of approximately 33.7 million for construction at uh, 1001 Potrero Avenue, building five, wards 6B and 7A, including a permitted and restricted use and authorizing the grantor to apply for a receiver in the event of the city's default. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. And with that, we have Department of Public Health here. Good morning, Supervisors. I'm here, I'm Marlo Simmons, Deputy Director for Behavioral Health Services, and I'm here to speak on item three, which again is um, we're looking for support to continue 
uh, working with the CalMesa Joint Powers Authority. So briefly about CalMesa is a Joint Powers Authority organization that was formed in 2009 shortly after the Mental Health Services Act was funded and it, this organization allows for counties across California um, to participate and collaborate on projects together, um, allows us to pull resources and develop new strategies and programs, um, all focused on behavioral health. Uh, it's JPA is not a state agency per se, um, but it's kind of in between a, a nonprofit and a, a state agency. Some of the examples of projects that we've done um, with the JPA since it's, we joined, uh, we are working actively with them on a program that allows us to have presumptive eligibility for foster care children who may be served in other counties. We are also working on a peer certification pilot uh, which allows us to bring peers um, into a more formal role in our system um, and hopefully soon become billers in our system. Uh, we're also working on, we just actually wrapped this project, a behavioral health quality improvement project under CalAIM. And this um, participation agreement allowed us to access consulting services and other supports. And we also have um, done, uh, just an example, there are others, um, a warm line chat, uh, which was a peer-led pilot project that multiple counties across the state were able to pilot technology. And so by partnering with the JPA, uh, we we're collaborating together to build the thing rather than all the counties having to do things independently. So it really does help us more efficiently spend public funds. Uh, the proposed um, resolution uh, would allow us to continue in partnership with JPA and when we have new projects, uh, we would seek uh, approval from the city attorney to be sure there's not unforeseen impacts and we wouldn't need to continue coming back to the board for approval. Um, these are generally are fairly small projects and um, really offer opportunities for innovation. Uh, and also as outlined in the resolution, we would continue to um, have the agreement until it was terminated. Um, there's certain things in the agreement uh, that call for uh, binding or non-binding uh, arbitration um, if there are disputes and explicitly states that board members, officers, and others involved in the JPA aren't uh, going to be held liable for any mistakes. And that's really kind of the legalese of the agreement. And we have, again, been part of this JPA um, since 2013. We continuing to partner with JPA will allow us to um, easier contracting process really allow us to better resource um, other resources, uh, but pool Mental Health Services Act funds as well, uh, partner with other counties, um, and the JPA, as with most of behavioral health across really the country, is focused on equity, um, and working with them will help us further this goal. So we are hoping that you will approve this resolution. Happy to answer questions. You do come back on an annual basis for the overall JPA agreement for approval. Under this, yeah. no, uh, the resolution would allow us to kind of have the agreement ongoing and then as we add projects, which again are generally relatively small, um, 100,000, 500,000, we wouldn't have to go through the whole process of approval, but we would be going to the city attorney and they would be reviewing the projects and being sure there's not um, an impact on the city's liability or um, outlay of resources. Right. Um. 
So what today, colleagues, I think what we're approving here is specifically for this is that we're, we're, we're not technically waiving our charter 9.118, but we are waiving overall your agreement implementation with JPA. And I can't, I just want to verify, I don't know about the waiving portion that you're asking. We are not waiving. Thank you. We're ready for the next item. We call the three and four together. Thank you. Good morning, uh, Chair Chan, Vice Chair Mandelman, and Supervisor Melgar. Uh, thank you for hearing this item. Uh, this is a request for approval of non-standard terms in a grant agreement, um, very similar to uh, what I presented January 24th. This is BCHIP round four, behavioral health infrastructure, um, blanking, sorry, a continuum infrastructure program, apologies. Um, this is round four of BCHIP, um, specifically an agreement with the Advocates for Human Potential um, and the state uh, Department of Healthcare Services for an construction of an adolescent inpatient psychiatric unit at ZSFG. Slide two, overview. Um, so grant agreement before you today is for round four BCHIP. Um, in December of 2022, DPH uh, received an award from the BCHIP program for uh, not to exceed amount of 33.7 for construction, construction of infrastructure at ZSFG. Part of the budget process last year, um, we received approval from the board to accept and expend that amount. And we're here today because the agreement to enact that grant contains non-standard terms um, that require board approval. So the funds The funds for this program will provide a new 12-bed psychiatric inpatient unit uh, for youth and adolescents 12 to 17 at ZSFG, staffed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, youth, it's for, aimed for youth experiencing acute psychiatric crisis. Um, placements into the setting arise from involuntary holds due to concerns for dangers to themselves or others. Uh, the facility will increase opportunities for inpatient psychiatric care for San Francisco youth within San Francisco. And just to note, currently there's only one adolescent inpatient psychiatric unit through Dignity Health Macaulay currently. Um, specifics of the non-standard terms, very similar to round three, with, also with AHP and DHCS. Um, proposed terms are enter into an agreement with DHCS for grant funding for 33.7. The city would agree to record a declaration restrictions at 1001 Portrero, ZSFG, um, of the sixth and seventh floors consistent with the grant funding terms and consistent with Prop C use for at least 30 years. And there will be an obligation for the city to defend and indemnify and hold DHCS harmless. And it will provide a authorization for the state to apply for a receiver in the event that the city defaults. Last, um, we're seeking this as retroactive authority. 
DPH received the award letter on December 1, 2022. Agreement, the award agreement template came to us on April 27, 2023. The accept and expend was approved by the board with the appropriations ordinance for FY24 this year. Um, given the non-standard terms, there was a round, several rounds of negotiation between city attorney's office and AHP. And this is the result of once we came to agreement from those negotiations. Uh, closing, thank you for hearing the item and re respectfully request your approval to accept the terms. Happy to take any questions. Thank you, Vice Chair Manaman. Um, well, uh, this is desperately needed and uh, I wanna thank everybody um, who's worked to make this happen and I'd like to be added as a co-sponsor. Thank you and uh, just I uh, wanted to clarify the non-standard terms. Um, could you just elaborate a little bit? Uh, I assume that is actually from your presentation, the non-standard term. Um, oh, I'm clicking on the, on that was, uh, is the non-standard term, which is what you listed on, I don't know, there's no number of slides. There you oh, go. sure, Thank you. sorry, slide three, sorry. Oh. Okay, um, so it talks about the declaration of restrictions. Could you just kind of help us understand what that means? Essentially, it says that by accepting the money and accepting this agreement, the city is committing to use the areas of ZSFG that are receiving the funds, that are receiving the capital improvements, consistent with the uses that we applied for. So we will have to continue using it as acute psychiatric care for adolescent youth for 30 years of the agreement. You can't accept the term, accept the money, and then use it for a different type of care. And then we are obligated, uh, you know, as we can, we accept this grant money and, and accept this term, and that, but at the same time, we are basically responsible for everything, but in the events that we are default, then the six and seven floor, like this, entire facility is going to, it, it is for the state could apply for a receivership. Is that correct? That's correct. Those areas specifically that have received money and received improvements related to the funds, um, the state would have the ability to apply for a receiver. Yeah. So we, we are, we are, the city and county of San Francisco is responsible to run this, manage this. And of course, that's the basis for the grant. And then, uh, in, we're committed to this space to dedicate it for this use for the next, for at least 30 years. And in the events that the city default, which hopefully never, at least not under my watch, uh, that we will go default, um, then, then the state is able to apply for receivership for, for this program, for this purpose in this area. Correct. The intent of both that and the deed of restrictions is to maintain the use that the state originally envisioned and approved the grant for. That is Thank correct. You. Thank you. I, I don't have, I just wanted to uh, clearly understand what we're accepting <laughs> and approving today and the commitment that it's a, it's a 30 years commitment. So I just wanted to make clear that that's what we're doing today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I don't have any questions uh, and I don't see any name on roster. Let's go to public comments for item for these two items. Yes, we invite members of the public who have joined us today who wish to address this committee regarding items three or four. Now's your opportunity to approach the lectern. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed.
and would like to move colleagues I would like to move both items to full board with recommendation and roll call please actually before the vote madam chair just to uh, clarify um, with uh, vice chair Mandelman your co-sponsorship is with four or both three and four okay thank you much on that motion to forward uh, to the full board with a positive recommendation vice chair Mandelman aye Mandelman aye member Melgar Melgar aye chair Chan aye Chan aye we have three ayes Thank you, and the motion passes. And Mr. Clerk, please call item five and six together, and just want to clarify that item six does have a BLA report. Okay. Items five and six. Uh, item five is a resolution approving an increase to the administrative codes, power sales revenue limit, and authorizing the Public Utilities Commission's uh, general manager to execute power sales contracts with anticipated revenue in excess of one million or more subject to an annual revenue limit of 20 million per fiscal year through July 1st, 2025. Item number six is a resolution authorizing the general manager of the PUC to execute a contract, uh, a memorandum of agreement with the United States Department of the Interior, National Park Service, uh, Yosemite National Park for the comprehensive management of watersheds within Yosemite National Park that supply the San Francisco regional water system for an amount not to exceed approximately 40.9 million with a total term of four years through July 1st, 2024 through June 30th, 2028, pursuant to the charter. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clark. And today we have Mr. Mike Himes, Deputy Assistant General Manager for the Power and Clean Power Asset here. Thank you. Good morning, Chair Chan uh, and Supervisors Melgar and Mandelman. My name is Mike Himes. I am the Deputy Assistant General Manager of the SFPUC's Power Enterprise responsible for Clean Power SF and our power resources. Um, I'm, I'm gonna present the first of the two items for you. Um, our, our group is responsible for managing the Clean Power SF and Hetch Hetchy Power electricity supply portfolios. And I'm here today to seek your support to increase the annual revenue limit on the power sales contracting authority conditionally delegated to the general manager and administrative code section 2143. By ordinance number 176-22, the board of supervisors added section 2143 to the administrative code, approving form electricity purchase and sales contracts and delegating authority to the SFPUC's general manager to execute power sales contracts having anticipated revenues of at least $1 million, subject to an annual revenue cap of $10 million for a period of three years through June 30th, 2025. Section 2143 helps the SFPUC move more quickly in a competitive marketplace to deliver cost-effective power supply that meets our regulatory obligations for our customers. It helps ensure that when we have products to sell, we can act at the commercial pace to achieve the best possible price. Today, we're seeking your support to increase the annual revenue cap for power sales contracts that exceed 1 million, uh, again, to, from, from 10 million to 20 million per year. Increasing this annual revenue limit will help us obtain uh, the best possible value for ratepayers. Both our Clean Power SF and Hetch Hetchy Power programs engage in power procurement uh, through competitive bidding processes to manage our power portfolios consistent with best utility practice. As the SFPUC manages fluctuations in supply and demand and navigates constantly changing regulatory requirements, we both buy and sell electricity products that exceed our customers' projected 
power needs. Sales of such excess electricity products allow SFPUC to maximize the value of, of our assets entrusted to us by our ratepayers. Wholesale prices for electricity products have, have been significantly higher than expected since the Board of Supervisors and Mayor established Section 2143 of the Administrative Code. Such increases reflect several factors, including energy shortages and trade disruptions triggered by the global pandemic, as well as higher demand for energy and raw materials used in clean energy technologies. In addition, new California energy projects have not come online as expected due to supply chain disruptions and delays in project permitting and grid interconnection. As a result, our power programs are experiencing higher prices for all energy products, creating both higher costs and higher revenues when Hetishi Power or Clean Power SF solicit offers to purchase excess power supply resources. This fiscal year, our power sales of contracts exceeding one million have now utilized most of the $10 million cap the Board of Supervisors authorized. Staff anticipates this higher price market environment will continue for some time. Given these market conditions and the need to move quickly in our marketplace, uh, we ask that you uh, approve an increase in the power sales revenue limit for these contracts delegated to the general manager exceeding one million in revenue from 10 million per year to 20 million per year. That concludes my prepared remarks uh, and thank you for your consideration. I'm happy to take any questions you might have. Vice Chair Mandelman. Um, thank you for your presentation and to the PUC. Um, I mean, I've been, this may be a question partly for my, for colleagues, but I was trying to think about the universe in which we would be worried about um, the PUC selling too much. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I mean, I guess the point of this is, I suppose if you were selling just unimagined amounts of power, it would mean that something had changed about how we were using our, our the, the power we're producing and maybe we're, maybe the Board of Supervisors needs to see that. But I was a little, this, I, I'm a little uncertain about whether we actually need an outside cap, but given that we have one, I'm, I'm happy to support um, raising it. Do you think that this covers any anticipate, I mean, 20 million is a high enough figure that there's no universe in which you're going to be pushing up against that at least through um, July 2025? Well, I'm hesitant to say no universe, um, but uh, we think it's reasonable, especially for this fiscal year. You know, we're, we're more than halfway through it. And the uh, Section 2143 um, authority expires at the end of next fiscal year. So just based on our projections and what we know about our portfolios, we feel like this is reasonable and gives us enough cushion to do the business we need to do. Well, I would just encourage in the future, I think this board is very supportive of this activity for, for, for the PUC and, you know, to, um, I, I, I for one am happy to support longer timelines and larger amounts um, uh, unless someone can explain to me why we would be worried about that. Um, I'd like to sponsor this. Thank you. I, I would think that if, if that's the case, you probably just need to amend Administrative Code Section 21.43. I see a nod from the real attorney. Okay. <laughs> um, with that, um, let's go to item number six. And this one has the budget and legislative analyst report. Good morning. Chair, uh, uh, Chair Chan, Supervisor Melger, 
and Supervisor Mandelman. I'm Margaret Hannaford with the SFPUC. I'm the Division Manager for Hetch Hetchy Water and Power. The item before you will authorize the General Manager of the PUC to execute a memorandum of agreement with Yosemite National Park to fund watershed management activities within Yosemite National Park, including trail maintenance, studies and reviews of plans and projects, and mutual security efforts. The agreement will also authorize the general manager of the PUC to enter into a separate non-disclosure agreement with the National Park Service to provide protection of any sensitive security information that may be shared in connection with the memorandum of agreement and or its implementation. The Public Utilities Commission approved the memorandum of agreement on January 23rd in, in the amount not to exceed $40,958,727 and a total term of four years. We now request the Board of Supervisors approval under chapter, excuse me, charter sec section 9.118. The SFPUC is required by the Federal and State Safe Water Drinking Act to demonstrate owners of the Tuolumne to demonstrate the existence of a watershed control program with Yosemite National Park as the owner of the Tuolumne River watershed above Hetch Hetchy Reservoir. The Park, Service agree the Park Service's existing regulations, coupled with the provision of the 1913 Raker Act, are designed to prevent microbiological contamination of water in Hetch Hetchy Reservoir and to protect public health of watershed visitors. The National Park Service has exclusive jurisdiction over management of the Hetch Hetchy watershed within Yosemite National Park, consistent with the terms of the 1913 Raker Act, the National Park Service Organic Act, the Wilderness Act, and the Federal Wild and Scenic Rivers Act. The PUC and the National Park Service have entered into a series of service agreements since 2005 in which PUC Funding has been used by the National Park Service to manage and prevent microbiological contamination of surface water within the Hetch Hetchy watershed. The current agreement, which was approved by the Board of Supervisors on April 30, 2019, by resolution number 219-19, expires on June 30, 2024. The PUC and the National Park Service seek to continue their cooperation in pursuit of their common goals and acknowledge the PUC's financial commitment to the National and the National Park Service implementation commitment to watershed protection, environmental stewardship, and security programs. The PUC respect, respectfully requests that the Board of Supers, Supervisors approve the PUC General Manager to execute the memorandum agreement with Yosemite National Park to allow the PUC to continue their cooperation in the pursuit of their common goals, acknowledge the PUC's financial commitment and the National Park Service's implementation commitment to watershed protection, environmental stewardship, and security programs. Thank you for hearing my item. I'll answer any questions at this time. Thank you. Morning, Supervisors. Nick Menard from the Budget Legislative Analyst Office. Item six is a resolution that approves an agreement between the Public Utilities Commission and the National Park Service. The agreement is for four years and has a not to exceed amount of $40.9 million. 
Um, and the purpose of the agreement is to allow the PUC to fund uh, park service activity to maintain the Yosemite watershed. Uh, this, the version of this agreement has been in place um, for the past 20 years. It is largely consistent with those prior agreements that have been approved by the Board of Supervisors, um, with the addition being now that there's some additional locality pay included in the budget going forward to account for salary in increases for park staff. Uh, this agreement's funded by Hetch Hetchy Water and Power ratepayers, and we recommend approval of item six. Thank you. I don't have any questions about this one. I appreciate uh, SFPUC. I appreciate uh, Ms. Margaret Hanover's uh, work uh, in taking care of our watershed in Yosemite. Um, and with that, uh, let's go to public comments on those two items. Guest members of the public uh, who have joined us today who wish to address this committee regarding items five and six, this is your opportunity to approach the lecture and address this committee. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Seeing no public comments, public comments is now closed. And colleagues, I would like to uh, move both items to full board with recommendation and a roll call, please. And I'd that motion to forward to the full board with a positive recommendation, uh, both items five and six. Uh, Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye, and actually, can you add me to both of them as a sponsor? Thank you. Noted, Mr. Vice Chair. Mandelman, aye. Member Malgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. And Mr. Clerk, please call items 7, 8, and 9 together. Items 7, 8, and 9 are resolutions approving the Harvey Milk Terminal 1 Food and Beverage Licenses. Oh, sorry. Uh, Terminal 1 Food and Beverage Leases between the following and the seating county acting by and through its airport commission, uh, each for a term of 14 years with one two-year option to extend at the sole discretion of the airport commission, effective upon approval of the resolutions. Item number seven is for a food hall lease with Taste on the Fly San Francisco LLC with a minimum annual guarantee of one and a quarter million uh, for the first year of the lease. Item number eight is for a historic restaurant lease with Taste on the Fly San Francisco LLC with a minimum annual guarantee of 550000 for the first year of the lease. And item number nine is for a casual sit-down restaurant lease with Amora International, Inc. And, for, uh, and a minimum annual guarantee of 450000 for the first year of the lease. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. And today we have airport with us. Good morning, Chair Chan, members of the committee. I'm Kathy Widener with the San Francisco International Airport. The resolutions before you seek approval for two leases with tastes on the fly and one lease with Amora International in the airport's Harvey Milk Terminal 1 for food and beverage concessions. Under the terms of each lease, these tenants will pay the greater of a minimum annual guarantee rent or a tiered percentage rent of gross revenues. The first taste on the fly lease is for a San Francisco historical restaurant concept and has an initial mag rent of $550,000. The second taste on the fly lease is a San Francisco food hall location and has a minimum annual guarantee rent of $1.25 million. The Amora International lease is for a casual sit-down location and has a minimum annual guarantee rent of $450,000.
All three of these leases have 14-year terms with one two-year option to extend and together represent a total of $31.5 million in combined rent for the initial term of the leases. Although our revenue development staff forecast that sales in all of these locations will be in excess of their MAG amounts and believe that these tenants will end up paying the greater percentage rent structure. The leases are all a result of a competitive request for proposals process with the three leases before you um, representing the highest scoring responsive and responsible proposers for each concept. The budget analyst has reviewed and recommends approval and I'd be happy to answer any questions. Items seven, eight, and nine are resolutions that approve concession leases um, at the airport's terminal one uh, with taste on the fly and a more international. The leases were competitively procured uh, we detail the terms of the leases on page eight of our report. And as we show on page nine of our report, over the 14-year terms of the leases, the minimum um, annual guaranteed rent totals $31.5 million to the airport. We recommend approval of these items. Thank you. Uh, with that, I don't see any name on the roster. I Thank you so much, and thank you uh, not just the airport team, but also thank you to our airport uh, commission uh, for their work on this. Uh, having, uh, sending this uh, three contract to us, uh, I do ex hope and I look forward to seeing that they do maximize the profit uh, from these lease agreements. And with that, uh, let's go to public comment on them. We now invite members of the public who have joined us today. Who wish to speak on the items seven, eight, and nine? And now is your opportunity to approach the lectern and address this committee. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Thank you. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now close. Uh, colleagues, I would like to move these three items uh, together to full board with recommendation and a roll call, please. And on that motion to forward all three resolutions uh, to the board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes. And Mr. Clerk, please call item number 11. Item number, actually, um, 11, 10. Oh, 10. Okay. I see. Yeah. Um, yes, please call item number 10. Yes. My apologies. Uh, uh, item number 10 is a resolution retroactively authorizing an agreement with Fidelity National Information Services, Inc., to facilitate the use of state-issued electronic benefits transfer debit cards and acceptance of debit cards and electronic funds transfers at the Alamany Farmers Market for a term period of January 22nd, 2018 through the State of California uh, selects a new EBT wireless payment processing service vendor and to authorize the director of property to enter into amendments or modifications to the agreement that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of the agreement or this resolution. Madam Chair. Thank you. And today we have real estate here. Claudia Gorm. <laughs> Good morning, uh, Chair Chan and Supervisors Mandelman and Melgar. Um, Claudia Gorham, Deputy Managing Director of the Real Estate Division. Uh, San Francisco Administrative Code provides that certified farmers markets uh, shall accept forms of payment from participants in federal, state, or city food assistance programs. 
For over 20 years, the Alamany Farmers Market, currently under the jurisdiction and operation of the Real Estate Division, has been accepting various forms of food assistance programs. To participate in the U.S. Department of Agriculture Food and Nutrition Services Food Stamp Benefits Programs, the Electronic Benefits Transfer Project, or EBT, the market has to have and does have an EBT point-of-sale machine. The market accepts EBT debit cards, provides participants with Alamany Farmers Market tokens solely for use at the market, and then receives electronic fund transfers from the state of California as reimbursement for payments for same. In 2005, the then board and mayor approved a resolution authorizing an agreement with J.P. Morgan Electronic Financial Services to facilitate the use of a state-issued EBT debit card machine at the market. Around 2018, the state changed their exclusive agreement vendor to FIS, which currently manages issuance of the food stamp benefits to recipients in the state, including the state-issued EBT debit cards and the EBT point-of-sale machines. In or about 2018, the real estate division entered into a no-cost agreement with FIS for an EBT point-of-sale machine, EBT point-of-sale machine, a new one at the market. Unfortunately, uh, real estate did not come back to the board for approval of the new contract. Upon discussion with the city attorney's office and review of the state law, approval by the board for the contract and the use of the EBT machine at the market is needed. We average about 150 to 350 EBT users at the market each week, with an average spending of over $10,000 just for EBT alone and another $10,000 for market match. Red desires to ensure that food assistance program recipients continue to have easy access to fresh, nutritious, and wholesome foods through the Alamany Farmers Market and would like to continue with the no-cost agreement with FIS to allow food stamp benefit recipients to continue to use state-issued EBT cards at the market. Approval of the resolution will comply with both state and local law and ensure that the EBT food stamp programs continue at the Alamany Farmers Market. We request your positive recommendation. Thank you. Uh, just a quick question. Uh, who pays for the fee? The state pays for the EBT. As the state a, pays for the EBT. It's, it's a reimbursement program. That's all, I, all the questions I have. I don't see any name on roster. Let's go to public, public comment on this item. Yes, members of the public uh, who wish to address this committee regarding item number 10. Now's your opportunity to approach the lectern. And... Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Great. Seeing no public comment. Public comment is now closed. And uh, we'd like to move this item to full board with recommendation. And then roll call, please. And on that motion to forward to the board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Melgar, aye. Uh, Member Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. And the motion passes. Mr. Clerk, please call item number 11. Item number 11 is a resolution approving a continuation payment for uh, $4.35 million under a pre-development agreement between Procuro Neighborhood Collective LLC and the city and county, acting by and through the Municipal Transportation Agency, uh, dated as of November 2nd, 2022, and making environmental findings under the California Environmental Quality Act. Madam Chair. Oh, I guess I'm chairing. For a minute. 
Okay. Uh, SFMTA. Let's hear about item 11. Uh, good morning, uh, Chair Chan Supervisors, or Chair Mandelman. Uh, my name is Bonnie Jean Von Crow. I'm the Public Affairs Manager for the SFMTA's Building Progress Program. And the SFMTA is here today to request approval of a continuation payment for the Potrero Yard Modernization Project, which is needed to continue to the next phase of the project's pre-development agreement. This milestone payment is needed in order to continue work for the PDA phase of the project following the adoption of entitlements and CEQA certification. Next slide, please. Uh, as background, the adoption of entitlements, which will be coming before the full board next week, is what triggers the timing of this milestone payment. Uh, the entitlements authorize the refined project, which you see here, which is a four-story bus facility with housing. Um, it maximizes housing units and affordability, and that's the primary alternative for the project. We're entitling up to 465 units. There are two types of housing, affordable family housing, for those earning up to 80% AMI, and what's being termed workforce housing for those earning between 80 and 120% AMI. Next slide, please. The EIR also studied a variant for paratransit, and the SFMTA views that as a backup use for the bus facility. Uh, during the PDA phase, we learned that the nature and timing of housing financing is different from that of the bus facility with the housing needing more time. And so because this variant is a transportation-related use, including it actually allows the SFMTA to be able to fund upfront the increased structural strength of the roof that would be needed for the housing to be built above and provide extra time for the housing to get its financing and then reimburse those costs. Uh, in the event podium housing cannot be financed and built in a reasonable time frame, this backup does allow the roof of the bus facility to be utilized for an important transit function for the paratransit fleet. And the 104 units of affordable housing along Bryant Street is also included in this variant. Next slide. Uh, the continuation payment is authorized under the pre-development agreement for the project between the Potrero Neighborhood Collective and the city, and this project is the city's first public-private partnership. Uh, the PNC team is led by Plenary Americas, who is the infrastructure developer for the bus facility, and also includes affordable housing developers, Meta, YCD, and Tabernacle, as well as design consultants and others who round out the team for PNC. Next slide. The continuation payment is a $4.35 million payment. The amount is specified in the PDA. And I want to emphasize that the PDA requires PNC to suspend its pre-development work once the project's environmental impact report is certified and the entitlements are approved. So in order to have PNC continue the pre-development work after the EIR and entitlements milestone is reached, the SFMTA would need to first send a continuation notice to PNC and then pay PNC the 4.35 million continuation payment. Uh, we recognize that PNC has encouraged substantial pre-development costs in pursuing the entitlements and supporting environmental review to date, and that the entitlements will increase the value of the project site for the SFMTA. Next slide. 
Uh, the project is currently on schedule, and that is a key focus for the project team. And here's the project schedule, which we've previously presented. You can see where we are today with the green box, and this is uh, right at CEQA certification and entitlements approvals. In order to continue to the PDA phase three activities, which is that dark blue portion of the timeline, the continuation payment milestone needs to be approved. We have had a question about the project agreements and the project term sheet, and as the schedule shows, the project agreements have always been scheduled for the end of PDA phase three, which is not where we are today. The term sheet and the project agreements are still being currently developed and negotiated, and finalizing those documents is part of the phase three PDA work. And we need the continuation payment in order to authorize that work. In terms of timing, we anticipate finalizing the term sheet and then the project agreements um, uh, in the fall of this year. And the SFMTA will brief supervisors on the term sheet prior to the agreements going before the SFMTA board and the board of supervisors. Uh, this project has prioritized transparency from the start, and we will continue to be in close communication with the supervisors prior to project agreements coming before you for approvals, including regular updates to the Transportation Authority Board. Next slide. Uh, additionally, we wanted to provide some context for the PDA work that's been done by the PNC team to date, and this work is what's recognized by that continuation payment. Uh, public input has guided the project from the start. The SFMTA has been engaging the community since 2018 on this project, which is when we established the Neighborhood Working Group, and then PNC continued to lead the outreach since 2022. Uh, the project has received 21 letters of support at the Planning Commission in January, and we've hosted about 150 or plus outreach meetings and tours and events over the years for the project. Next slide. And of course, the driver for this project is providing a new bus yard for the SFMTA, which will prioritize strong public transit, one of the most important tools we have to fight climate change. By improving efficiency and working conditions for the SFMTA frontline staff, Buses can be repaired faster, improving Muni's reliability for the community. And the bus yard will be phase one of the project and accommodate 54% more buses, which Muni needs for its fleet. Next slide. Uh, here you see the proposed affordable family housing along Bryant Street and on the podium above the bus facility, and that is up to 247 units and would be for those earning up to 80% AMI. Next slide. And then this view shows the proposed workforce housing on the podium, which is up to 218 units, again, for those earning between 80 and 120% AMI. And the SFMTA is working to create a preference for our staff for those workforce housing units. You also see one of the three retail spaces on the project um, here at this corner at uh, 17th and Hampshire. Next slide. The project would be built in phases. The bus yard is phase one, and then phase two is the proposed affordable family housing along Bryant Street, which is shown at the left. Phase three is the affordable and workforce housing on the podium above the bus facility, which is shown at the right. And the affordable housing is item A, and the workforce housing is item B. And that housing, as it's above the bus facility, could only be started uh, after the bus facility is completed. Next slide. 
And then the um, other public benefits include supporting active transportation adjacent to Franklin Square, which is across the street from the project, by enhancing the city's existing bike lane on um, 17th Street on that block, as well as improving a number of the pedestrian crossings around the yard for safety. Um, this view shows the corner of Bryant and 17th, and you see one of the two SFMTA entrances, as well as a small retail space that will be there, and the public restroom that we are providing, which is right conveniently located across from Franklin Square. And next slide. And then finally, you see the two public um, art opportunities on 17th Street. These are large-scale art opportunities highlighted in yellow. Uh, the mosaic art opportunity is at the right. And then at the left is a glass wall in front of the interior bus ramps that creates a public view into the bus facility and is also a glass art opportunity. And there's a third opportunity as well on Mariposa Street, and those were all identified in that process of being run by SF Arts Commission. And so that concludes, uh, next slide, that concludes um, our summary of the project and the SFMTA is happy to answer questions. I have Chris Lazaro, the project director here as well, and also from the PNC team, I have Chris Hargery from Plenary Americas. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Chair Chan, Nick Menard from the BLA. Just wanna to speak to our policy considerations on this item. Um, and recommendations. One, uh, it relates to the term sheet, which was a discussion that occurred between 2020 and 2021 uh, with, between the MTA and this committee uh, when the MTA was seeking municipal code waivers to procure um, developers for this project. And there was a commitment by the agency at the time to bring a term sheet uh, to the board for endorsement, not as a legal requirement, but that that request was made by the com this committee and accepted by the agency. Um, and it, the benefit of doing that process is that it allows the board to kind of know what the conditions and terms of the agreement that will, will be submitted for final approval are and make its voice known. I think there's other ways of accomplishing that at the same time, whether through individual briefings uh, with supervisors. And it sounds like the process that they've began to describe in their presentation meets the spirit of that commitment, but I do think the devil's in the details and I would encourage those discussions if the board's interested to have to happen sooner rather than later, given that there are already um, draft agreements uh, drafted as part of the pre-development work. Uh, we also have a, rec a technical recommendation to this resolution, which is that this resolution as it's written states that it's approving a payment of $4.3 million, and I actually think it should be rewritten to say the board's approving the pre-development agreement and the continuation payment, because the agreement with this continuation payment exceeds $10 million, and therefore requires board approval under Charter Section 9.118B. Happy to answer any other questions. Thank you. Um, Supervisor Malkar. Uh, thank you, Chair Chan. Um, at the uh, Land Use and Transportation Committee uh, on Monday, we approved two related items to this project and Supervisor Ronan came and made a really strong case uh, for approval. I uh, love this project. I think it's really great. Um, I also am very aware that it's the first 
uh, public-private partnership uh, and uh, ambitious project of redevelopment of MTA land uh, that is coming before this board, um, and I don't want to mess it up. Um, I think that you know uh, the MTA owns a lot of land uh, that is underutilized around our city, and I want to make sure that we uh, set you up for success in the long term. Um, I do also remember that uh, about the term sheet and was reminded by our friends in labor. Um, we approved uh, the related items on Monday at the Land Use Committee. Um, you know, historically in San Francisco around um, uh, development projects, uh, these things are, um, you know, tacked down at entitlement and CEQA, um, not at the end, you know, uh, at, at when, when we are starting construction. So uh, I am wary of, uh, you know, sort of not doing what we said we were going to do, because I think that a project of this scale and other projects that hopefully will come after this, uh, include, you know, involving uh, redevelopment of MTA land, requires trust uh, from the community, from our labor partners, from uh, the nonprofit developers, the for-profit developers, everyone that we're doing business with. And so I don't want to set us up uh, for, um, you know, sort of eroding that trust going forward, because I want everybody to uh, believe that we can do it and that we can do it well and it's on the up and up and that we are consistent with what we promised. And so um, I'm going to support this item today, but I just want to make sure that you guys, uh, you know, remember that, um, the, you know, those of us here are, are watching, you know, I'm both on land use and on budget. So I will keep track of this project closely uh, when it comes to that and make sure that, um, you know, we uh, are doing what we're supposed to, but also, you know, I don't want to unnecessarily harm the project partners. I mean, they they also, they need to get paid and the pre-development costs need to be covered. So, you know, this will um, go forward. Um, what I don't want uh, is to have this item come for approval, um, you know, like two weeks before it has to, uh, and we don't have a term sheet, or the term sheet um, is not uh, to uh, the it's not acceptable to you know some of the partners or whatever because you know, that has happened with other MTA projects before, and I uh, think this kind of um, effort is just too important uh, to have that happen here. Okay, thank you, thanks, Chair Chan. Thank you. Um Supervisor Malgar, I, I think uh, my question will be according to the timetable that you have, just different stages. It doesn't really have a period, like a time, like a calendar. I mean, I understand that today is, that's the, the stage we're in. Um, you mentioned that you will brief the supervisors of the term sheets before the development, final development agreement comes before us. What is the expected time period between the, or when do we expect the term sheets? And then also then what is the time period between the term sheets briefing and then to the final um, development agreement approval? Good morning, Good morning Chair Chan. Uh, Chris Lazaro, uh, Project Director for Portero Yard. And, <clears throat> excuse me. So we do uh, plan to bring the item to the full board for their approval um, in the fall, likely October, November. And so it would be our uh, commitment to bring the term sheets um, well in advance of that time, so probably mid to late summer um, so that we have time to address any concerns that might happen to come up. So 
I just want to say only because the board does go on uh, uh, legislative sections recess, which is first week of August, and I'm, I'm just encouraging everybody to be mindful of that timeline. Absolutely. And if that's the case, like we hope to see you in July um, and for this briefing so that we can also have an active conversation throughout that time to for you to for feedback and conversation because so that but you when you do come back in the fall which is september october or november and during that time period there that you already have feedback uh received from from the board members um and then with that said i just wanted to quickly go back to uh, mr menard you mentioned that you like to see you're recommending um a language about specifically on identifying this as a continuing payment do you is there is there an effort to to actually really tweak that language in the legislation or or can we and Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson, I appreciate the suggestion and we have prepared some proposed language for your consideration. So it would be at the end of the resolution, the final page, we would add a whereas clause that says, whereas if city makes the continuation payment, city's payment obligations under the PDA could exceed $10 million, which would require the approval of the Board of Supervisors under city charter section 9.118. Now therefore be it resolved if the Board of Supervisors approves the SUD and general plan ordinances and they take effect, the Board of Supervisors approves the PDA and authorizes the SFMTA Director of Transportation to issue the continuation notice and make the continuation payment to PNC on the terms and conditions in the PDA. Thank you. And is that something that SFMTA can accept and entertain and for us to make that amend? Uh, well, the PDA was previously um, authorized and approved by the SFMTA board back on November, I believe it's November 1st, 2022. Uh, I can't speak to the legality of the board approving the PDA. It's something that we did not anticipate. Um, yes, it was approved by the SFMTA board and at that time did not require board approval because the amount wasn't reaching the threshold. I think what the BLA has suggested is that with this payment, it might. And so in an abundance of caution, we're just recommending, um, at their recommendation, we agree with adding this language. Uh, Vice Chair Mendelman. I mean, unless somebody has an objection, I think this is actually like a reasonable thing for the board to say. Yeah, the SFMTA does yeah. not have an objection. Thank you. And so with that, uh, let's go to public comment on this item. Yes, members of the public have joined us who wish to speak on this item number 11. Now is your opportunity to approach the lectern and address this committee. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Thank you. Seeing no public comment, public comment is now close. Uh, colleagues, I would like to first um, amend the legislation as proposed um, by the budget and legislative analysts and read out loud by Deputy City Attorney and Pearson. And uh, with that amendment to move this item to full board with recommendation. And uh, may I have a roll call, please? Yes, on that motion, to amend the resolution as offered and read into the record and to forward that resolution to the full board with positive recommendation as amended. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, I, Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. Um, 
with that, I also just wanted to uh, alert SFMTA, you know, in the events that we do not see a ter term sheets before we go on recess, I may have a letter inquiry requesting for term sheets just so that our colleagues are prepared before your development agreement come to this body again for approval, just so that our colleagues really have the time to digest a very complicated development. Thank you so much. And uh, with that, Mr. Clerk, please call item number 12. Yes, item number 12 is a resolution approving and authorizing the Office of Contract Administration to enter into a contract between the city and county and Allied Waste Services of North America, LLC, for the provision of refuse collection and disposal services at city facilities with an initial contract duration of seven years commencing on April 1st, 2024 through March 30th, 2031, how, with an option to extend for three additional years through March 30th, 2034 for a total contract duration of 10 years and with a total contract not to exceed an amount of 119 million for the full 10-year duration under the charter and to authorize OCA to enter into amendments or modifications to the contract and not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of the contract or this resolution. Madam Chair. Thank you. I just want to first um, congratulate City Administrator Carmen Chu and, of course, the uh, Office of Contract Administration team. Um, it's quite historic uh, as a moment for the city government uh, for this contract. And we really just want to say that we appreciate all the work that uh, you and your team all have um, put together. Um, and. Uh, Director Corella, and just really thank you uh, for uh, walking and presenting, walking us through and presenting the contract today. It does have a budget and legislative analyst report, so we'll go to your presentation first, and then we'll go to the budget and legislative analyst. I have some thought today and some questions um, around labor harmony, about labor dynamics, um, specifically that um, I'm just learning about. Um, but again, just first want to thank you and your team uh, for all the work that you guys have done. Thank you, excuse me. <clears throat> thank you, Chair Chan, um, and thank you for that acknowledgement. Um, uh, and thank you uh, for having me here today, uh, and as well to Supervisor Mandelman and Supervisor Malgar. Um, I'm here to request your approval of the citywide contract for refuse collection services with Allied Waste Services of North America, LLC. Uh, and with me uh, today are Soko Made and Jack Macy from SF Environment, as well as Jessica Range from the City Planning Department. As you may be aware, the city has held a consolidated contract for refuse collection services for city government facilities through the Office of Contract Administration since 2004. The last long-term contract was approved in 2014 for six years and not to exceed amount of $48 million. In November of 2020, OCA brought forward to the board a new long-term contract, but no action was taken, if you recall. Uh, but for continuity of service, OCA entered into an interim contract covering December 2020 through November 2021. This contract had an initial not-to-exceed amount of $5.6 million and a one-year duration from December 1st, 2020 uh, through November 30th, 2021, as I mentioned. Uh, it was amended uh, to $9.9 .9 million. Uh, and then ultimately we had to come to the board for a contract extension in November of 2021. Uh, and the board did approve um, the contract extension uh, for a not to exceed amount of 15.6 million, excuse me, and an extended duration through June 30th of 2022. I do wanna note that during this time, the city attorney's office advised OCA that the city's refuse collection ordinance did not prohibit 
the city from competitively procuring these services specifically for city facilities. So to allow time for uh, us to solicit for these, new, for these services uh, and enter into a new contract, the board approved a contract extension in June of 2022, um, uh, increasing the not to exceed amount to 39.6 million and extending the contract duration through June, June 30th of 2024. And I do wanna note that OCA uh, did amend uh, the contract again in June of 2023 to adjust the rates as authorized by the board um, at that June approval. OCA uh, with DOC, DOE support, Department of Environment support, did issue a solicitation in June of 2022. Uh, and in January uh, of 2023, our evaluation was complete and we issued a conditional notice of intent to award to Allied Waste Services of North America, LLC. In February of 2023, the CEQA process kicked off in earnest. Uh, in November of 2023, Allied submitted uh, their application to the Department of Public Health for the refuse collection truck permit. And in February of 2024, just several weeks ago, the Department of Planning completed the CEQA process and issued an addendum. And I will certainly let my um, uh, colleague at the Department of Planning speak to the CEQA um, further if you have questions. Uh, we do, if this board approves this contract, um, in March we would expect to execute the contract and finalize the DPH permits uh, with uh, a transition occurring and transition implementation occurring uh, between April and June of 2024. And I do wanna note this transition um, is, uh, includes uh, over 380 uh, sites that will uh, be switching over to a new service provider. Uh, and with service to begin no later than July 1st, 2024. Uh, and then final note here is that in Ju uh, Ju June 30th of 2024, Recology's contract for city refuse uh, services will end. The proposed contract has an initial duration of seven years with the option to extend up to a total of 10 years. The not to exceed amount proposed for the full 10 year duration is $119 million. Uh, and it, this is based on a representative month of utilization and it includes a 15% contingency. The contract scope includes uh, both the refuse collection and disposal service for all city departments, uh, again, comprising over 380 locations. It also includes ancillary service, including, for example, collection of bulky items, pallets, and other, other service, ancillary service, as well as the lease and purchase of uh, compactors that are used at several locations throughout the city. In terms of the rates, uh, the rate structure uh, is, the, is the uniform collection rate, uh, which is essentially um, no different from the current contract. Uh, and this, is, this means that the same rate applies for the three waste streams, trash, recyclables, and compost, uh, based on the frequency of service, uh, whether it's weekday, weekend, and the size of the bins. There is also a volumetric recovery discount that's applied uh, to the total monthly bill uh, for each location based on the percent of collected recyclables and compostable materials. And again, this is no different from uh, the current contract with Recology. There are ancillary charges uh, for uh, ancillary service, as I mentioned, uh, as well as the equipment, bulky item pickup, uh, equipment leases and such, uh, as well as overages, uh, which is when bins are overfilled. Uh, and then we do have contamination charges as well, which is for repeated mixing of materials in, sp in specified bins, for example, recyclables in the trash bins. The, and finally, the contract includes an annual race, rate adjustment based on the percent change in CPI. 
Uh, here you can see projected expenditures um, and clearly the, um, the base service and the ancillary service comprises the bulk of this uh, contract expenditure uh, at around uh, almost $9 million annually. The compact releases uh, and then the overages are estimated at, at a much less, um, much less uh, a cost to the city. Um, the, you'll see a line item here for contamination. Um, we did not estimate contamination charges at this time. Uh, but ultimately, uh, we are projecting a seven-year contract NTE total of $79.4 million. Um, again, this does include a 15% contingency. And the expenditures were, um, were adjusted annually at 3.3, uh, excuse me, 3%. Uh, the total 10-year contract uh, NTE would be 119 uh, million, which is what we are requesting your approval for. Uh, in terms of performance uh, monitoring and performance measures, I do want to note there are a number of um, provisions in the contract that we that OCA will be uh, periodically monitoring. Uh, of course, response time to service issues and complaints by the city, um, including, for example, uh, the percent of calls that are re resolved um, on the first call. Service levels is critically important, obviously, so we will be tracking the number of missed collections and the percent of missed collections. Uh, the contractor's response to on-call emergency and holiday service requests, as well as compliance with a number of audit inspection and route review requirements per Environment Code Chapter 19 and State Bill 1383. And as, of course, there are other general reporting requirements. Uh, finally, uh, we will be um, uh, assessing the uh, monthly bills on a periodic basis. Uh, I do want to note that these are very complex bills, um, and so we uh, will be tracking, again, uh, number of billing errors and percent of billing errors as well as timely resolution of those billing errors if they occur. On the zero waste side, um, I'm sure you're well aware the citywide uh, zero waste goals include reduction of generation by 15% by 2030 and a reduction of disposal, of, um, uh, disposal to landfill by 50% by 2023. On the contract side, um, there are city government zero waste goals as well, um, and the Department of Environment will be assessing uh, improvements to the existing zero waste programs at city departments, as well as uh, determining if the city, uh, city agencies have, ach have, have achieved an increase in recovery by 5% in the first year of the contract. Um, before I uh, conclude, I do want to uh, note that last week, uh, OCA uh, submitted revisions to the contract, um, namely to clarify the DPH permitting requirements as well as to clarify, um, define how the recovery discount will be applied and to clarify um, how that is calculated. I want to thank the Budget and Legislative Analyst Office for um, catching that. We have been um, advised that this is not a material change. These are not material changes. Um, and then finally, I do want to, um, I think it's very important to acknowledge um, a number of colleagues across the city who have been very critical um, to, uh, in terms of um, bringing this contract uh, before you today. Um, namely, uh, Gloria Ewan, Ian Fernando, and Anise Acevedo at the Office of Contract Administration, Soko Mate and Jack Macy at, the, at SF Environment, Jessica Range and Jenny DeLumo at uh, the at Department of City Planning, uh, Angela Yip at the City Administrator's Office, as well as uh, Deputy City Administrator Rachel Sukerman, 
uh, Director of Environment, uh, SF Environment, uh, Tyroon Ju, and of course, City Administrator Chu. Um, and with that, I will conclude and I respectfully request approval of your, uh, your approval of this contract. Thank you. Item 12, this is a resolution that approves a new agreement uh, with Allied Waste uh, to collect trash from city facilities. Um, it does not impact the residential or commercial trash collection um, in San Francisco, which is still uh, monopolized by Recology, um, you know, per the city regulations pertaining to commercial and residential trash collection. This agreement was the result of a com the competitive process it's the first time this agreement was put out to bid, and uh, it resulted in two potential bidders, uh, with this being the highest scoring bid and providing savings to the city. Uh, we detailed the cost of the agreement on page 23 of our report, uh, which, as was noted, uh, ranged between nine and $10 million over the initial seven-year term. The agreement will be funded by a mix of general fund and enterprise funds, and we recommend approval of item 12. Thank you. I, I uh, appreciate um, all the work that's been done. Um, and I think that I'm interested to see the April to in the event that we do approve it from, out from here and, and then also receive the approval from full board um, that with this contract, I'd like to uh, just keep a close track of the April through June transition period and learn more about how that it's going. And would like to understand that in the event that we may need um, a longer transition period, uh, what would that actually look like? Do you have those answers today or? Yes, I think um, we certainly understand the need for contingency planning. Um, I think we've done a lot of planning up to this point, as much as we could do before the contract uh, is approved and executed. Um, and I think we will know a lot more about the timeline for full implementation of the services once we begin that um, you know, implementation plan, uh, the implementation process um, in earnest. Um, that said, I, I will be um, forthright, there is a possibility that we would need to extend the recology contract just to make sure there's at least an overlap of service as we're completing the transition. But we can get back to you with more details on that. When will you know, uh, when, when will you have, my assumption is April, like that's when you know that whether or not you will need additional time period for the transition. Yes, um, I, likely April. Um, that said, again, we do need to start um, consulting very closely and, and working very closely with the contractor and the city departments. Um, again, there are a number of parties involved here. Um, it could be that the departments may need some more time. Um, it could be that um, you know there are certain pieces of equipment that we need to obtain right and, and make sure they're in place. Um, but that said, um, we should be able to get back to you by April to let you know. The contract obviously expires, um, as I mentioned, on June 30th, 2024, and a, a board approval process will obviously take some time if we need to extend it. Yes, I'm also just thinking that's like our budget. June, it's our budget time, so we'd love to learn more Great. and sooner. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you, and with that, I don't see any name on roster. Let's go to public comments on this item. Yes, members of the public, uh, who wish to address this committee regarding this item number 12, now is our opportunity uh, to approach the lecture and address this committee. If the first uh, speaker uh, will approach, I'll start your time when you begin. Good morning, Chair Chan, Vice Chair Mandelman, Member Melgar. 
Uh, my name is Evan Boyd, Regional Vice President for Recology San Francisco. Recology recently submitted a letter in response to the city's environment, environmental report and Allied's draft agreement, uh, both of which were made public just over a week ago. The letter addresses concerns uh, that we have after reviewing those documents. There are similar concerns that we raised uh, in, in a 2023 letter that we sent uh, to the board, uh, but we did not have the information uh, at that time. Uh, in particular, environmental impact concerns with collection vehicles traveling from Half Moon Bay to San Francisco to Martinez back to Half Moon Bay each day uh, as one example labor concerns and the jobs of San Francisco residents being impacted, and pricing concerns that we detail in our letter. The city of San Francisco has a well-earned reputation as a leader in environmental stewardship and progressive planning. The exclusion of environmental concerns and the outcomes, labor outcomes from the scoring process do not seem to align with the city's values. Further, the rate tables in the proposed contract may be flawed. For each of those reasons, we urge this committee to reconsider its evaluation of these proposals and whether the proposed award serves the best interests of the community. Thank you. Thank you much, Evan Boyd, for addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. Morning, Supervisors and Chair Chan. I'm John Bouchard with Teamsters Local 350 and Joint Council 7, and we're the representing union of all the garbage and recycling workers in San Francisco. Uh, we have some concerns over labor issues with this award. Um, I, I share some of the concerns uh, that Recology has highlighted with, in the draft agreement, but that's not what I'm here to discuss today. I'm here to talk about the labor concerns. Uh, recyclables, curbside recyclables that are currently collected are processed by our members at Pier 96, who make approximately 38, almost $39, $39 an hour with full pension and health care benefits. And they're also mostly San Francisco residents because there's a local hire requirement. What's being proposed by Republic is transferring that material to Newbie Island in San Jose, uh, which is where it will be processed by non-union sorters, uh, who happen to be the subject of a, a joint employer organizing case that's been bouncing between the NLRB and the Federal uh, Appeals Court. It's our case that we filed in 2014 as a joint employer petition. Uh, so that's concerning to me. Those, member, those uh, workers make approximately $24 an hour with no benefits. So that's significantly less than the San Francisco residents who are currently performing the work. Um, Republic has uh, local labor issues as well as regional and, and countrywide labor issues. Uh, they currently at a group in Santa Rosa, management orchestrated a decertification from the union. Um, in 2022, there was a three-week-long strike in Anaheim and a six-week-long strike in San Diego. Uh, if any of, of these locals that are currently having problems in Las Vegas, Arizona, or Richmond, California, extend pickets into our area, it will impact the service uh, that Republic performs here in San Francisco because those pickets will prevent our members from crossing the picket line. Therefore, those trucks won't go out and will not service San Francisco. So, Speaker's time has elapsed. I'm not opposed to the award, but I definitely Thank think you much, the John city Bichard, should take a much closer look committee. at who they're engaging with. I do apologize for cutting anybody off, but we are timing each speaker at two minutes. Next speaker, please. Good morning, Supervisors. Uh, Mark Gleason, I'm here to speak on behalf of Local 350's sister locals under the umbrella of 
Teamsters Joint Council 7. Working in the solid waste industry is a difficult and essential job. True labor harmony includes min minimizing worksite friction so that labor and management can focus on the essential aspects of solid waste work. While the awardee, be awardee being considered today does have collective bargaining agreements in place in some locations, not all, in California, in some locations in the United States, not all, the awardees' relationships with our locals cannot be described as harmonious or without friction. Presently, there are a number of ongoing labor actions with the awardee. These include sanction strikes across the nation, which could be extended into the Bay Area in the future. Difficult labor relations at the awardees' work sites nationwide are historically not rare. And locally, regionally, our sister locals in California would like to make you aware that their relationships with the awardee are far from harmonious and without, and without friction. Very simply, Joint Council 7 today would like to present a caution flag as you're making this consideration. Thank you very much. Thank you much, Mark Leeson. If there's anybody else who uh, wish to address this committee regarding this item number 12. Madam Chair, that completes our queue. Thank you. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. I would just like to uh, have an understanding about uh, this contract um, in terms of the process. Uh, if uh, Director uh, Corella, if you can actually um, help me understand. So when it go, when this go out to bid, it also allows a period of protest. That's correct. Yes, and that. Um, in that time period, will some of these information would have been known so that um, companies and um, workers and be able to weigh in during that protesting period? Um, I think um, the issues raised by the public speakers, it's possible they would not have been known because the it's, you know, it's unknown who the proposers are. Each proposer doesn't necessarily know who is proposing, so they would not have likely would not have known who the proposers were and what their, you know, labor conditions, employment conditions were. But that said, you know, provisions in the RFP, provisions in the contract, all those could have been objected to and protested during the solicitation period itself. Understood. I, I think it's um, clearly these information, at least for me, it just recently came to light, colleagues, um, and I just... I have, uh, and, and really is thanks to the people who came today and, and speaking on it uh, on the record publicly. What I would um, like to is, if colleagues, I, if I can have your support today, is to continue this for a week um, to allow, at least for me personally, to learn more about uh, the impact. Um, it, it sounds to me, though, I, I don't want to go into a contract with a brand new vendor without having a clear understanding both on a local labor practice um, and how would it actually impact us for the long term. Um, I am always on the I err on the side of having any type of contract, whether there's a formal clause of labor harmony or not, um, it is always my goal to see that there is at least intention, uh, even if it's not language within the contract, to, to see a vendor and not a contractor um, wanting to, with the intention to achieve labor harmony in San Francisco. Um, Supervisor Vice Chair Mandelman. 
Thank you, Chair Chan. I think that's a reasonable way to proceed. Um, the concerns that have been raised are concerning to me, um, and I think it would benefit all of us to have a, a week to take a closer look at this. Thank you, and uh, so with that, um, I would like to continue this item to the next, um, our next meeting, and which is, I believe, uh, a March meeting. Um, I'll let our Mr. Clerk to actually clarify and uh, confirm the date, so I'm not saying it wrong. Um, so I would like the motion to continue this item to our next uh, Budget and Finance Committee uh, meeting, and a roll call, please. And on that motion to continue this resolution to the March 6th meeting of this committee, Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. And uh, Mr. Clerk, do we have any other items in business before us today? Uh, Madam Chair, that concludes our business. Thank you, and the meeting is adjourned.